Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I make my own rules, one Bonko party at a time. I write history and I read celebrities. I am JMZ. Life is a classroom, and I'm here to teach. Welcome back to the second half of our episode with Gwendolyn Fowler. You're here with me, Casey. Dr. J. Mill, the millionaireist, sometimes the trillionaireist. Max Spear, nothing's changed. <laughs> so we're going to continue uh, this Bravo talk. Apparently, Dolores Catania and Teresa Judice are in a feud. And Dolores says that it's time that Teresa exit the show. She's been on too long. It's time for someone else. So I don't know. Is is Ronge the type of show that can keep going without Teresa? Would they need a full reboot and cast entirely different? Because I feel like it's been 10 years worth of storylines that is just Teresa, her family, and how people relate to Teresa and her family. What do we think? I would ask the question differently. Did Orange County survive this past season? Without Vicky in a permanent role? The difference, I think, is that Orange County was never about the family network, yeah. right? So even, even like, bringing the Manzos in, right? It was the Manzos and the Judices. Um, and so that was still about the family dynamics and, you know, friends of that particular family. And so Teresa is, like, the last remaining or original member and I wonder if there's actually depth in any kind of storylines without her. Well, just like you can't have a holiday party without sprinkle cookies. Yeah. I don't know if Ronge can exist without Teresa, though I am tired of seeing her particular storyline. I think she's transcended every way she, way she can. She's, you know, divorced um, this husband who was very horrible to her. Yeah. The plot does not get bigger. With Teresa, like it does, like it does not become more dramatic than Joe going to go being arrested in ICE custody. Uh, whether or not the kids are able to see him, then he gets deported. Like it just doesn't. She's not going to come up with anything that's more um, 
gripping than that than being convicted of fraud and then going to have to go to jail. Yeah, there's not going to be like, guess who got convicted of fraud a second time? (laughs) I got to say, I'm really sorry, but I find that a lot of the Ronj women are just kind of boring. Like, when was the last time Melissa Gorga really had a storyline other than opening Envy? Did you say Alyssa or Melissa? I said said Melissa, right? Like, when was the last time Melissa had, like, a legitimate storyline, right? Because it's either been Melissa and Teresa fighting and the entire cast, you know, from family and friend dynamics trying to put the family back together. Or, you know, then she opened Envy. But then this last season, it was, like, crickets, nothing. Nothing happening. It's definitely, like, a broader thing, I think, that's happening across all Bravo shows at the moment were like older uh or more seasoned housewives i should say um more experienced housewives. more experienced housewives seasons was supposed to be like a double entendre though so. i got it but i'm <laughs> yeah, bum. but i'm bum uh see i could do that too <laughs> <laughs> um more the uh the bleh. I was going to make a point, too. It's hard to think when that baby's in your arms. Yeah. I feel like there's just, like, they become so aware of the camera edits and the camera on them that I think they get to, like, a certain number of years on film, and you kind of have to reboot everything. Now, the I think the interesting thing about someone like Ramona or Teresa is that they don't really seem to necessarily adjust for how the edit will be or how the audience will view them, right? Like, you always get what you get. I'm going to poop my pants on the camera. <laughs> Check this out, editors. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think we might be time. It might be time for a whole reset. I don't, I don't know what's happening with Ronj. I don't know what's happening with Roni. Most of the franchises, yeah, need a giant facelift. I just want the kind of drama that there used to be. I'm done. I'm done with. You want people who are unconscious about the cameras there. I want constant messiness. I mean, Jennifer yeah. is messy on Ronge. Yeah, Jennifer is messy. We like Sutton in this household. I do like Sutton. Yeah, I like Sutton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just need. Like, I was I was like ready to march to Denise Richards' house when she stood up Garcelle, making Garcelle drive yeah. all the way to Thousand Oaks. Yeah, that was, that's like so uncool. But anyway, so we're gonna do a lot more alleging with Gwendolyn Fowler in this half of the episode. So sit back, relax, and welcome to Historians on Housewives. Okay. I agree. <laughs> so now we're going to head back into the interview, if that's okay with you, Gwendolyn. Yeah, that's perfect. So we're going to start out with maybe the easiest or the toughest question, de- depending on you. Um, who is your favorite Bravo Liberty and why? So I thought deeply about this and um, I actually went by who I follow on Instagram. Uh, because I don't follow a lot of Bravo celebrities on Instagram. Um, so my favorite is Dr. Heavenly from Married to Medicine. Um, I don't have any deep explanation. I just find her very entertaining. Uh, I like that she has a successful business. 
that she actually has like a chain of dentist offices. I find that fascinating. Um, and also the fact that she's from Miami and her mouth has like no filter <laughs> and still, you know, she's like maybe almost 50 and her response to everything is your mama. Like I just <laughs> find it hilarious. <laughs> like there's a part of me that wants to be that like candid and outspoken, but cannot be. Um, I love watching her with her daughter on the camera. I love her daughter. She's hilarious. And her daughter reads her all the time. When so, um, when she caught her husband. Dr. Damien. Dr. Damien at the, um, at the strip club <laughs> last season. When they were on vacation. When they were on vacation, she comes in with the orange juice and just starts interrogating him at like nine in the morning. It was one of the funniest reads I've ever seen on the network. Max must have watched that particular scene like a dozen times and he just cackled so hard and it was it was so funny. It was like the most loaded question about like do you want some orange juice, right? It's so aggre- like so aggressive and Dr. Damien really looks like a deer in headlights. Like he knows he's caught but he's like trying to keep some semblance of the lie going like this moment where he's like oh i'm getting juice oh i'm not getting that kind of juice right like (laughs) it was so funny yeah and i appreciate that the guys are really trying to save him but yeah i mean we're gonna see it anyway so um also i have a runner of eileen davidson she's no longer a housewife but i really really liked her on housewives of beverly hills um do you guys have like a little name for that one? Or? Uh, I don't think we do. Do we? Have a what? A name? Uh, have a name like Ron, Roa. Do we have a I name think it's just Beverly, Beverly Hills? I think it's just I mean, I R-O- guess it's just Beverly Hills. Well, I guess since I it's just Beverly, Beverly Hills. Because it's Beverly Hills, it might just be Rob. The H is silent, which might, you know, because <laughs> it's Beverly Hills, might be brand specific. I, I like Rob. Um, so, yes, Eileen Davidson used to be on Rob. She was a soap star and she played Ashley when Young and the Restless. Um, and, and Kristen on Days of Our Lives. Let us not forget. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Let us not forget. Married to Tony DeMera. <laughs> right. Um, I just really like Eileen. First of all, I think she's a really good friend because there are some seasons where Lisa Renna should have been left by herself. I'm thinking of like that whole Munchausen oh, situation. Yeah. Um, you know, or Lisa Ren- and even I think oh, well, Eileen wasn't on that season, but the season where she said, you know, Kyle Richards, I mean, Kim Richards was near death and uh, not sober anymore. Like, there's some. Oh, but there was that scene where with, she's then with, on the couch with Eileen being like, Eileen, I didn't think I said it, but Eileen, I said it. And Eileen's like, she has like <coughs> such a like a body reaction. And then like Eileen's cameo is like, you know, Lisa Renna. <laughs> I love her. I know she means well, right? So it's like she's even navigating those politics of good friendship while she's like, Ugh, Lisa, right. like, look like, at this mess you're defend, making. Right. She, she like defends the person, but not her actions, um, which is interesting. And she's still a friend to Lisa Renna. Um, But also, I just like that she was really good at calling these women out, like cutting through the BS and just like plainly stating something. And I really, really like that interaction between her and Kim Richards at one of the reunions where Kim tried to like diss soap opera actresses um, as not like good actresses or something. And she's like, well, actually soap opera acting is very difficult. And like Andy backed her up and I was like, good for you, Eileen. Like, 
Good for you. So I really, I really enjoy her also. She was really, and Eileen is a working actress. Yes. 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 She works. Yeah. It was like, she's a working actress and she's classy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do miss Eileen. I miss her. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're a historian of inequality, um, currently researching welfare activism in Detroit. How did you come to this project? I'm going to try to like make this as short as possible. But uh, in general, I would say I came to wel- the welfare rights movement um, kind of by accident. I read Johnny Tillman, who was maybe the most famous face from the welfare rights movement. I read her article in this magazine called Welfare is a Women's Issue. I think I read it in undergrad and I'm just a naturally curious person. I'm, I went to Google, tried to find out all the information I could and Google wasn't giving me enough information. And so when I decided I was going to go to get my master's, I knew that I wanted to write about Johnny Tillman and that's when I started reading all of the welfare rights literature. Um, and then when I got to Rutgers, I kind of realized I was at a loss as far as primary sources go. I had some issues getting to the, um, there's an archive, there's, where do I start with this? Okay, so the Welfare Rights Organiz- uh, Movement, they had an organization called the National Welfare Rights Organization. Their papers are at Howard University, and I had some issues trying to get access and so I had to pivot as far as what I'm going to write about when you don't have any primary sources. Um, and Dr. Merch, Dr. Donna Merch, she was like, you know, you might try Detroit. And I was like, hmm. So I kind of went through um, Kremlin Addison's book, Welfare Warriors, and was just looking for stuff about Detroit. And I found this woman named Mamie Blakely, who was a welfare rights activist from Detroit, part of the West Side Mothers. And then I started following her, and that led me to Wayne State University's archives at the Walter P. Ruther Library. The West Side Mothers actually have their own archives, and I was not able to go there because of Rona, but I was able to request scans, and so I kind of just like jumped into this organization. Um, so it started as like curiosity. And um, now it's probably going to be my dissertation, thanks to Dr. Merch. Well, that that's, that's leads into my next question. So you touched on the West Side Mothers of Detroit. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? And in some ways, what exactly captivates you about them as well? Because there's that moment as a historian that something grabs you. And it sounds like you've been grabbed by it because you just said it might become your dissertation. Right. Um, so, West Side Mothers was started in uh, 1966 in Detroit, Michigan. The two founders uh, were Selma Good. She was a she is a, she's still alive actually. She's a white Jewish woman from Detroit who was the research director at the um, Detroit chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality, and um, Gloria Brown, who the black woman who was the chairperson for the Detroit chapter of CORE from, I believe, 1964 to 1967. So a welfare recipient approached them about how to get access to benefits that she was supposed to have, and they ended up creating a group. They started meeting at the CORE office. 
eventually um, both of those women left CORE and so they started meeting at churches around the city. Um, eventually their membership bloomed and they became like one of 13 welfare rights organizations in Detroit. And um, one interesting thing about them out of many is that Michigan was the only state during the 1970s, during the 1970s to pre, uh, increase welfare benefits every year through the decade. And the Westside Mothers take credit for that. Um, they're very tenacious. I mean, they were founded in 1966, and in the same year, they sued uh, the Detroit public service companies for requiring um, certain citizens who lived in uh, poor zip codes to have a deposit or put a deposit down, and they actually won. So I think part of my fascination with them is just how they kind of hit the ground running. Um, but also it's the fact that they have an archive and like everything was written down. Um, and when I started doing research, uh, I think I just did a general search on like newspapers.com. All of this information, all of these articles came my way from the Detroit Free Press. So they were written about quite often in the um, in Detroit Free Press. And so I think just the amount of information that I got without scratching, without digging that much, I think is what really has kept me going. Cause I'm like, I can't imagine yet what else I'm going to find when I start really like getting into more primary sources. Um, and so, also, sorry, the fact that like, go they're, ahead. Still active, they're still active. Um, a lot of welfare rights groups after the national welfare rights organization kind of disbanded a lot of welfare, local welfare rights, groups kind of stopped working, but Michigan Welfare Rights is, um, that organization still up and running, Westside Mothers is still up and running, and Selma Good is still kicking. I believe she's in her 90s. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that was going to be my follow-up question, which is, you know, how, how did the Westside Mothers um, impact the welfare rights movement? Is, you had, is it too soon in your research to talk about that, or do you feel comfortable talking about it? Uh, I'm not super comfortable talking about it, mostly because I still need to do a whole bunch of secondary, um, secondary source reading as far as like the history of Detroit. Um, but I know that Detroit was known as Black Power City and it seems as if the neighborhoods in Detroit were just kind of ripe for activism and so, for community activism, I'll say. And so I think, um, the longevity of the West Side Mothers has to do with that fact that, um, you know, Detroit is just like a place for activism. They're still extremely active with water issues. And, uh -huh. you know, um, you know, if you really want to look up somebody super dynamic, Maureen Taylor is very, uh, she's in charge. She's just amazing. And, um, yeah, so like I kind of I kind of understand why they are so important and how they impacted the movement, but also um, I still need to do more research. I mean, also another thing, there was an issue. Uh, George Wiley is someone he founded the National Welfare Rights Organization. He was kind of this like black middle class guy, kind of knew how to talk to white people. He did a lot of the fundraising, but he also really tried to control these women. And what I noticed about welfare recipients 
turned activists in general is that you cannot control them. These women were, you know, essentially relegated to the bottom of society as poor black women on welfare. And they have the most radical critique of all of the isms, capitalism, sexism, you know, racism, everything. And they were in control of their own group. And George Wiley really tried to come in and hire someone to run the Michigan Welfare Rights Group. And Westside mothers were like, you can't come to Michigan and do that. Like we were successful before you guys got here and we'll be successful without you. And they were. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we talked about it maybe a little bit at the beginning, but, um, Can we talk a little bit more about how Dolores and Margaret from Ronge provide relevant examples for understanding your work? And maybe if you could go into some of these examples, that would be great. Um, Yeah, so I think I see it more with Dolores because she was the one who had this organized uh, fundraising fundraiser for um, a homeless shelter, a women's shelter in Inglewood. Um, that primarily serves Black women and their children. And I think my issue with watching that um, was I find that sometimes the charitable works that are displayed on all of these franchises are, with the exception of like Bethany Frankel, I think, and with the exception of like Vanderpump and all the stuff she does for dogs, um, I think it's like very performative. You know, it's just kind of, well... We just want to look good. And I have an issue with you doing that when you're looking at African-Americans. And knowing what I know about welfare rights activists, I don't think, like I can't imagine, uh, you know, if the West Side Mothers had a shelter, they would let some woman come in and on camera kind of talk about how much she's going to help them and oh, I love helping people, you know, like, no, they would have accepted the check and said, like, you don't need to be here. Um, And so I find that whole situation kind of icky and, like, exploitative. And also when I watched it, I I knew someone who was at the shelter. And I was, like, shocked. I was, like, oh, my goodness. Um, So it just kind of, like, hit home. And I was just extremely uncomfortable with the entire situation. Wow. Well, I actually, I actually um, agree with you about some of the the quote unquote charity moments mm-hmm. are performative, and they are really very uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to use Casey's example. Casey likes to use the example of Luann when she went to the um, was it the YMCA? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it was yes. the Y. It was the Y in New York City. And she talked about the little girl being chubby. I mean, yeah. can we talk right. about that for a minute? How was that helpful? Right. Or that I they mean, could grow not. up and like the way that she was talking to them about, you know, aspirations and growing up, it was so completely clueless as to the community she was talking to or even any sort of understanding of her own privilege. Can we just like a, do a little bit of segue on how, much I dislike Luann Delisette. Go so, <laughs> right ahead. It might be like a regular. Se- the- it, this might be a regular ahead, segment Mike. on the show. Is all I was gonna say. Because right. yes. I mean, are you are you gonna start with the Afro? Where do you want to start? By all means, you've got the floor. 
I want to start with um, after the Afro. I think it was was the Afro the same season she got arrested, or was that after? Um, I think I, the I Afro came that. first, and I think that was okay. maybe the season she was maybe marrying okay. and divorcing Tom. But the 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 okay. arrest came the season or two after. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually want to start. Carol with her. was still no. on with the Afro. So I th- oh right, right. You're right. Okay, I remember. Um, yeah. So Luann's arrest uh, was on videotape, and she got out of her handcuffs and assaulted a police officer. And in this time where we're watching black people get murdered by police officers, every time I think about that, I get like palpitations. <laughs> and the fact that like Luann doesn't take it seriously has no kind of idea about um, how serious it was. I mean, she could have done a lot of jail time. Um, She didn't. She was on parole. She didn't take her parole seriously at all. There's that scene with her, and is it Dorit, I think, at her parole, and she's kind of laughing and joking, and they're supposed to be, like, packaging soup, and she's eating the soup, and, like, it's ha-ha-ha. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Like, (laughs) I hate to, like, say white privilege over and over and over again. I feel like everyone says it all the time, but like you were looking at it right there because if Luann was a black woman, she wouldn't have never gotten to court. She would have never gotten to parole. You know what I'm saying? Like he would have shot her. And so it's just, ugh. Luann just makes my blood boil. To to kind of extend what you're saying about Luann, you can see it in the Roni fans too. I had gone on to Etsy a week ago um, looking for like a Bravo birthday slash housewarming thing for Dr. J mill. And one of the things that's coming up, you mean me, you, I know, I know. I I can't wait. You'll be, I think you'll be so excited when it finally comes. Um, But I was appalled because, you know, there had been some joke on this new season of Roni made about, um, you know, how, there's a certain number of the women now who all have mug shots, right? And so, you know, Tinsley, Luann, and Leah. And so, you know, some of the Roni fans on Etsy are now selling the mug shots of these White Housewives as coasters. And I was like, just absolutely sick to my stomach. Like, the way that people don't understand this dynamic and, and think about it as, you know... Um, mm-hmm something for like leisure entertainment trading yeah jail is like a fun club to be in if you're white (laughs) yeah it was it was right it was so shocking to see that Mm. and kelly has an opinion too (laughs) yeah he has an opinion in the background he was like cough cough you know like adding this in (laughs) well before i move on i want to make sure that we've exhausted your 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 hatred <laughs> and displeasure w- with with Luann. Does this mean you won't go to her cabaret show? Is that what you're trying to tell us? Oh, that's the other thing. No, I completely forgot about the cabaret. I'm so upset that I don't want to get like too deep, but like I just I'm a music person. Okay, like I love love music, and I listen to singers. You know, um, I love the Clark sisters. I feel like gospel singers are probably like the best singers you'll ever hear just because they grow up singing in church and church audiences are brutal. Um, Agreed. So Agreed. <laughs> so you have to be good. 
And the fact that Luann gets up there and sounds terrible and actually maybe believes that she sounds good because people keep telling her she sounds good. I'm like, what is going on here? I almost feel like I'm in like a, a fun house and like, you know, I'm, I'm in another dimension watching something else going on. And I'm like, this can't be real life. And I wish, I don't know if you guys remember when Patty LaBelle was on uh, Watch What Happens Live, like all of those years ago. And she like looked straight at the camera and she was like, Luann, Kim, you're beautiful women. Stay in your lane. Do not yes. say ever again. Yeah. To God. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you should have took Patty LaBelle's advice. Like, this is terrible. It's the terrible. Way- and it adds like this like super like weird personality that she has because like people actually buy tickets to like watch this. The way that she does her cabaret and that some of these women think about their, you know, music careers, especially like Luann with the cabaret, I think back to, oh goodness, what was that terrible movie, La La Land? Yeah. You know, like, yes. let this white guy tell you about this history of music and like be the best at performing this genre. And I was, you know, it's like, that is Luann to me. Yeah. Ryan Gosling's here to save jazz. <laughs> you know, is like, is like wow. my parallel to Luann and, and her music career. Doing cabaret in the clubs. I will say money can't buy you class is catchy. I mean, that's, that's the only yeah. thing. That's the only thing. <laughs> so this is going to be an extremely abrupt transition, but I did want to make sure we got all our land feelings um, out. So this is going to be a, an abrupt transition. So, you know, listeners, brace yourself for this very abrupt transition. But I think it works. So, <laughs> Gwendolyn, you, you mentioned to us that one of your projects includes actually doing a ha- family history, and it result, it, it, result, it involves research on Mohawk Indians and the relationship to enslaved Africans in New York. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Um, you seem to have an array of interests, so I, I just want to make sure we highlight them. Um, yeah, so this is like a, the family history part's not new. I've been trying to, like, uh, patched together that from patched that together for maybe like five years at this point. Um, but the Mohawk Indian part is new, and I kind of just started voicing my interest in it to uh, one of the professors that I had last semester. Um, but my grandmother, I've always heard stories that she was half Mohawk, and that her mother was full blooded Mohawk, and I heard that from my grandmother's brother, Uncle Billy, who um, unfortunately now has kind of fully succumbed to dementia, but before he did, I was able to talk to him about that and get a little bit of information. Um, so that's where it started. And when I actually started just with my Google search before I, because um, I haven't really done a bunch of research about it yet, but when I started with my Google search, I, uh, I started with um, just like a Wikipedia article on Mohawk Indians, and I found a one footnote about um, Mohawk Indians in the 17th and 16th and 17th century, uh, basically taking in fugitive slaves. Um, and so I want to scratch at that a lot more. Um, of course, I've read like Taya Miles's um, Ties That Mind, um, but that's kind of a different history, um, and I'm not. Uh, I, I, it's a different history, basically. And so I want to, yeah, I just want like more at this point. I just need to like do some more reading. 
but that's like that's like my dream project you know this can be your after tenure project i was just thinking that yeah Yeah. (laughs) even dabble and enjoy you and dabble well I don't want to step over the toes of your advisors, but so let's continue with the Detroit mothers um, as your dissertation project. And this can be your kind of after project because family history, people don't realize family history takes a lot of time. Ancestry.com makes it look like it's so simple, but it takes a lot of time. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Some of our listeners are historians by training. So I know I'm preaching to the choir. Okay, well, well, I'm glad you explained to us your interest in that. That sounds fascinating. We'll look for both that project and your other projects. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Casey, what's so up? So now we're going into a new H&H segment. Um, we're calling this Allegedly. So this was inspired by our desire to critically fabulate about backstories in the Bravo universe. Critical fabulation, I think I would liken it to what Aisha Finch says, imagine responsibly. So you don't want to use the fragments of the archive to re-traumatize or re-victimize the people you were speaking about. So in putting this game together, allegedly, and I love it, is that we are going to critically fabulate or imagine response. Thank you, Ella. Ella, we're Um, talking about Sadia Hartman and critical fabulation. (laughs) Shush. (laughs) (laughs) Ella Ella just wants to get in on the conversation. So, um, where was, thanks, Ella. I lost my cue. So, so we're imagining responsibly about the past. We're imagining responsibly. And in fact, maybe critical fabulation is too highbrow for what we're about to do. Yes. What we are going to do. I agree. Isn't it? We're going to do a, a compilation of Harvey and Charles from TMZ. So this will be like allegedly, maybe with JMZ, let's brand it, allegedly with JMZ. Where we all critically... <laughs> like Respons- we we all responsibly critically- imagine. <laughs> this, I think, is with the o- This is definitely the only podcast that exists where Sadia Hartman's critical fabulation can sit comfortably next to TMZ and Harvey. I mean, I have a gift. I don't know what to, what to tell you. Yeah. I, I have a gift for putting these unlike things together. But we're going to take it a little... I mean, I think that using Sadia Hartman is a great way to elevate us. But we're going to stay in the messy. Like, I think we need to do... I allegedly need, yeah. is we need a com- we need a combination of highbrow and lowbrow imagining responsibly. We got to remember that with, this is Bravo we're talking about. <laughs> We're giving the we're we're citing black woman here by telling everybody that this technique comes from Sidia Hartman, but we are applying it to like nothing that important. Exactly, we're embracing the JMZ model. So let's go. What what are you going to hit us with? So Gwendolyn um, wanted to discuss uh, Giselle Bryant's relationship with her ex-husband, Jamal Bryant. Uh, Word on the street is that they renewed their romance for the cameras, um, and allegedly Jamal Bryant just had a baby boy with an unnamed woman from his congregation. Um, Now, Jamal Bryant is the pastor at the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church um, 
which has a sordid history already. Oh, really? Tell it, Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn, tell it. Tell it. So, Bishop, Eddie Long, Bishop Eddie Long was the former pastor. He was having, I don't want to call them relationships. He was sexually abusing young boys um, for years. I believe the congregation knew about it and they paid their tithes anyway. Wow. And made him very um, and I think when all of it really started coming out, um, he actually got sick and died of some type of cancer, like very quickly. And so Jamal Bryant was hired as their new pastor. And Jamal Bryant has a sordid history also with cheating on his, uh, with cheating on Giselle and having outside kids. Um, right. This isn't a new storyline. Right. No, not at all. Right. And Didn't so he I have think, a child with a, a woman while he was married to Giselle? Or was that right yes, after the divorce? I'm, yeah, from his Maryland, from his Maryland congregation. Yes. 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 So, um, you know, Giselle's playing, I feel like, a very, I don't know, dangerous game. Because even if you are doing it for, you know, to have a storyline, which I agree, you know, last season, I think Giselle was just like the instigator. Uh, she didn't really do much but just started a lot of stuff. And, you know, she did need a storyline, but this one would involve your children because their father is now back in the picture. And maybe it would have went okay if this new news had not come out. But, you know, Jamal did it again. He um, he has another baby, allegedly. Well, and, and Giselle is saying that, like, no, it's completely false. So... What do we what do we think the truth is here? Well, let me tell you what happened here. <laughs> let me tell you what happened here. <laughs> Giselle and Jamal began again having intimate relations. He, if I may, pastor put it on her and she got caught up and she sincerely believed they were reconciling. She I don't think that storyline was false. I think she was happy and they were reconciling. She didn't know that he was up to his old tricks outside of their relationship. I really think that she sincerely thought they were getting back together. And I don't think that he thought that. I think he was just, you know, doing, oh, Jessica, don't give this read to the, to the audience. Um, I think he might have been doing what men love to do, which is to keep women on a string, especially if you're an ex or an ex-wife. And it came back to bite him. So I don't take anything from Giselle. I don't think she was lying. I just, it's unfortunate that she continues to deal with this ne'er-do-well, if you will. With all respect, Pastor. With all respect, Pastor. Oh, with all respect. And with all respect to Giselle, she's not, she's not first lady material. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I believe that, like. In case you didn't know Giselle. And I grew up in a Baptist church. And I've seen first ladies of Baptist churches, and I don't get that from Giselle at all. So I think she was better off with the ex-football player or whatever he was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's more her speed, but like first lady Giselle is just not, it's just not realistic. Can you talk a little bit more about the politics of being a first lady to a congregation like this? Like what that Um, would look like? (laughs) Or is that that too much First, let me just add this and then Gwendolyn, you take it away. First of all, she would have to wear a prayer shawl over her legs when she came into the congregation because short skirts on the front row, not a good thing. No. Mm-mm. Not a good thing. 
And normally the prayer shawl is reserved for women who are not married to the pastor. They tell women who sit on the front row they need to have a prayer shawl because, well, you know, need I say more. So just yeah. the fact that her skirts are too short. I love Giselle, but I, I might agree with you on this one. So Gwendolyn, yeah. by all means, take it away. I also love Giselle. I also find her very entertaining. Like I said, she's not first lady material. When I think of like my first lady at my church, uh, <laughs> I don't want to sound, I don't want to get too much into like the politics of respectability, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just not, she's too um, like materialistic, uh, very like into her look. Um, plus the fact that first ladies have just a whole bunch of duties in the church. Um, as far as like, uh, they help the deaconesses, at least in my church, the deaconesses are, wait, do you guys know deaconess, deacons and deaconesses? Um, they're supposed to be like, uh, pillars in the church to help run the church. Um, so the deaconesses are usually the wives of the deacons. And so the deaconesses in my church are the ones that do all of like the, um, hospital ministry and go visit people, stuff like that. I can't see Giselle doing things like that. I can't see her leading like prayer groups or um, being in charge of any auxiliaries in the church. Um, and you're supposed to be a type of role model for young women in the church. I think uh, in the way that like you dress and the way you speak and you're supposed to be very ladylike and polite and uh, bougie maybe. Well, Giselle's bougie, but it's like a muted bougie that's not based on what you're wearing. It's based on your behavior more. Um, yeah, like Giselle just doesn't kind of fit into it. And I don't know how she did it for as long as she did. Do we know if Giselle met um, Jamal in a congregation? Like, was she already a first lady? You mean what? No. <laughs> I don't even know this answer. You mean, was she already like, um, was she already kind of first lady material? No, I'm saying like, was she a first lady at some point? Like, did they, did they meet because she was one of his congregants? Does anybody know? That I don't know. I I don't know that part, but I do know she was the first lady of his church in Maryland. Because that was part of her bio leading into the first season of Potomac. And I had to go and do my Google research at that point saying, what is the church? Where's Jamal Bryant? Why do I know his name? Does this um, add, because I lived in Maryland for a while. Does this hmm? add to like the I don't know the drama and like the deepness of that affair that she's you know first lady of a congregation when it comes out that he's impregnated another congregant? I think the only way it would is if he agrees to be on the show. Because they've always treated Jamal Bryant as as separate. Like, he, we don't get a lot on him. You have to go do your research. I mean, that would be a great storyline if he stayed on the show. But, but I also... I was going to say, what, I, I, what would you think about the allegedly aspect? Like, the before the cameras roll, like, before she's a housewife and this is what happens to her, do you think it makes it... Uh, right? Like, the community aspect of, like, so many people knowing and, like, watching it happen in front of her face, right? Like... Did that, does that like fuel like the resentments and all that? Like how do they even get to the point where they're coming back together after something like that? So let me tell you what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So much confidence. Giselle was lonely. It happened. 
when you're lonely, you're a black woman in particular of a certain age, and even if you're of a certain age, income, and beauty status even, you know, it's not, it's not easy to find someone. And so they're in contact talking about the kids, and he's familiar. And they go and have adult relations a few times. And they get back together because he's comfortable and he knows her. And so she believes they've gotten back together. So my first answer is also my ending answer. That is how, she, how he got back into her life. Dating out here is hard. She's familiar with him. They have kids. I imagine, I've heard his sermons, he's probably quite dynamic. He's quite dynamic. I mean, I think he's probably allegedly the ultimate hero is Pritchster, right? Um, I can see how it happened. And also, I think Giselle might have um, been looking at Robin and Juan's relationship. You know, she's close with the both of them. She's known them a very long time. And they kind of got back together after Juan cheating for however many years. Um, and maybe she was just kind of like, well, maybe it'll work out. Um, especially because Juan was a, like a, was he in the NBA or whatever? He, mm-hmm. he was an athlete. Yeah, and like, you know, notoriously athletes cheat on their wives. And you could make an argument for uh, black creatures also in infidelity. But I don't want to go there. Um, I don't either. That's why I'm like, ooh, um, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna go so high, so so fly so close to the sun. I don't want my wings to um to burn. But there's a whole. So what we're trying to talk around is that there is a whole other backstory when we start talking about first ladies. Yeah, like and, and their husbands. Groupies, basically, I, like I'll just say, pastors also have groupies, like athletes. Right. And which, yeah, yes, which goes back to wearing the prayer shawls. Um, a friend of mine. She went to counseling before she married her husband, who's a preacher, and she was actually told about, you know, multiple groupies and how to kind of guard against them. But that's why they have women who sit in the front row. You usually have to have a prayer shawl on because, you know, skirts might be short and use your imagination, allegedly. 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 (laughs) So, yeah, I think, you know, Jesus might have been feeling some of that because if Juan could come back, and, you know, him and Robin are engaged again, I believe. Um, you know, maybe she really thought he changed. I don't know. Right. And why not? I mean, honestly, why can't people, you know, people do change. Right. And so, I could, again, I can see how it happens. I mean, you, no one wants to have a divorce. No one, well, unless they have someone in the wings. But no one really wants your, their family to be dissolved if there's still something worth um, salvaging. But I, you know. I mean, she fell in love with him for a reason. Again, I think he's probably very charming and charismatic, and he's familiar. Mm-hmm. Casey, I don't know if that did anything the way you <laughs> wanted us to. Was that critical fabulation? Was, was that our rant about? You I think know, it was it an excellent, allegedly. I, I, okay. you know, I think I think we had a lot of points. I think we went to some places that were kind of analytical, uh, and we got to be a little bit messy too. And anytime you can be analytical and messy, is great. Excellent. <laughs> so, um, Gwendolyn, can you tell us what's next for you and what you want people to know about your upcoming work, and how can they get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Um, all right. So I'll start with getting in touch with me. Um, 
I just started like an academic Twitter. I got rid of like my ratchet one. Um, and so you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Gwen Fowler. Um, I'm working with Dr. Gross doing some stuff for the Association of Black Women Historians. So Excellent. I, Yay. <laughs> so I anticipate, you know, being more active and like pushing lots of stuff that way. Um, what's next is lots more reading. I have a ton of research to dive into um, about Detroit. I'm also in the process of trying to um, hire a research assistant in Detroit uh, to kind of go through the archives for me. Um, yeah, and trying to get as much rest and relaxation before whatever type of school year we'll have in September, you know, starts. And I'm getting a puppy. Yay. Um, Yay, what kind? Alaska Opso. Aww. What kind? Alaska Opso. Aww. They're it's really like cute. In her balls, yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> Congratu- congratulations. Welcome to Thank you. Welcome to New Puppy. It's so exciting. <laughs> I'm very excited. I, I will have to say that I when we got our Ella who was wooing earlier, I kept telling Max that I was gonna get us a puppy after I sat my exams and instead I found her almost three months before the exam and I just came home one day with a puppy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jessica is also kind of an advisor to a to a puppy, you know. <laughs> yes, it was so sad. My puppy, my puppy had just passed away, and Casey came to my office so excited. Oh, and we got a puppy, and your our puppy can play with Morrison, and she's going on and on and on. And I just looked at her, and I said, "My dog died last weekend," mm-hmm. and it was so horrible. It was a horrible moment. I want, want, want. <laughs> yeah, but their dog is so cute. So I borrow their dog in, on occasion. So we are definitely, we're be- definitely doggy friendly in, in at Historians on Housewives. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are definitely anti Dorit's dog abuse here. Hey, with Dorit and a dog, do you think maybe her kids antagonize that dog? Like, I have a theory about that. I think Kelly Allergy. just said that he agrees with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that do- the dog was like a little, I think it was a chihuahua, and you have two kids that don't seem to know boundaries that well, at least from what's depicted on the show. So, like, I can totally see, you know, and PK doesn't exactly seem like the warmest husband either, like... No, you don't think. Yeah, no, I know. It's a, it's going to be a controversial take here. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think that, like... They did not have the patience that um, is required to, um, like, raise a puppy. Not at all. I'm worried about their children, too. Right. I mean, hello, let's start there. Yeah. (laughs) What type of terrors is she raising? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation and um, I love that you have helped us now name Rob for what it is. Rob. Rob. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoy myself. As 
always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at historiansh. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. Thank you, Gwendolyn Fowler. This show was brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Christina Hinkle, Christina Gamberpour, Judd Merlaski, Pete Murray, Yvonne Ballardes, Cody Baker, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, and Luis Asio de Dios. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.